Well, good morning, church. It's nice to see you post-Christmas. Like Dad said, and I know we're, we might be a little tired this morning. But what a joyful morning, isn't it? I, I am, I was, it's, just, it's just so encouraging to hear, hear your voices um, singing. What amazing, amazing truths we just sang. I hope, I hope that, that that isn't just lost on us as we kind of have that habit of, of coming here to singing. But man, mine are keys to Zion City. I, I, we're we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But just, just understanding the, just the reality of that, the, the implications of that. Mine and yours, you are in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. We've reached that time of year where it's, you know, it's, it's the end of the calendar years. We, we, we say farewell to 2021. We say hello to 2022. We've reached that, that time of the year as we're pondering, thinking about uh, everything that happened this year, all the good and all the bad. Hoping for... Just a fresh start come January 1st. You know, we start to think that way. That's kind of the way the world thinks. And, and, and so this time of the year, you know, as, as we think, for, think about new beginnings, we, we think about the way that this culture um, really desires to, to, to start marketing and, and, and appealing to your motives. You know, it's at the end of the year, you just had Halloween, and then you had Thanksgiving, and then you had Christmas, which typically means you had candy and turkey and prime rib and food, which to McNon and I, we say amen, praise God for his many blessings. To others, you might notice that that shirt that fits you in September doesn't quite fit you January 1st, so it can be a little discouraging if you're like me. And so therefore, um, this world is going to uh, appeal to that desire for you to, to, to look a certain way. You, know, you, you want to look a little thinner. You want to look a little more fit. You want to feel a little better. Here's this exercise routine. Here's this uh, nutrition plan. Here's this gym. You know, busiest time of the year for the gyms right now. They're going to advertise to you. They're going to be full in January. They're going to be empty in July. But they're going to appeal to your, your heart's motive to look better, to feel better. You're, you're going to, maybe your issue isn't fitness. Maybe your issue is, I, I just need, I, I need to have my finances a little more intact. I, I want to be a little wealthier. I've kind of got that motive. Maybe I, don't, maybe I don't want extreme you know, riches, but I just want to feel a little more responsible. So you're going to have you know, companies appealing to that motive of your heart. And, and so they're going to, they're, they're going to be advertising all sorts of financial plans, debt relief, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's nothing wrong with fitness. We should steward our body well. Nothing wrong with stewarding our finances well. We, we should steward our finances well. But, but, but it's interesting that like there's, there's sort of these motives that all of the world can kind of agree on, financial health and, and, and physical health. We, we, we kind of somewhat value that, even if we don't want to put the work and hard, hard work into actually what it means to achieve these things. There's, there's somewhat, these things are all desired by the world. Riches, wealth, looking a certain way, feeling a certain way. Those are the motives. It's the heart of a, it's, it, the motive of that is, is to make much of self. 
And, and as we open our Bibles to, to Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Luke 12, 35 through, through 48, I, I want to put an even greater sort of motivation upon your life as, as you're considering today and going forward and, and, and what you would do as a man or woman and who you would be as a man or, man or woman. I want to put a far greater motivation in front of your eyes this morning. A greater motivation than, than to be good looking, to be healthy. A greater motivation than to be wealthy. A greater motivation than to be smarter, to advance in your career, have a better looking home. And it is this to be found faithful when Christ Jesus returns. To be found faithful when Christ Jesus returns. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. My main point is this, if you're taking notes, that the impending second coming of Christ should motivate us to a life of faithful obedience today. The impending second coming of Christ should motivate us to a life of faithful obedience today. Let's dive into the Word. Let's see what the Lord God would tell us in Luke 12, 35 through 48 today. As Jesus continues speaking to his disciples, he tells them this in verse 35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. The impending second coming of Christ should motivate us to a life of faithful obedience today. That's what I want us to consider this morning, church. Point one. Disciples of Jesus 
should desire to be found faithful at Christ's second coming. Disciples of Jesus should desire to be found faithful at Christ's second coming. We, I, I kind of see this in, in verses 35 and, and 36 as Jesus commands his, his disciples to stay dressed for action and to keep their lamps burning. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Jesus kind of speaks to them in a, in a parable of sorts here uh, of, of a master who would, who would return home from wedding feast. To find slaves, to find, his, to find his servants, and he calls them to be ready. Stay dressed for action. The, the, the key idea here in, in being dressed for action is, is, a, is the idea of being constantly ready. They're constantly ready for the master to return. In other words, they are never not ready. They're always ready. Any moment should the master return, these servants are ready for his return. This staying dressed for action in this context, staying dressed for action as a, as a servant, would, would, have, would have looked a little like this. You know, the, as if they were not in a position of being ready for action, they would have worn, you know, loose clothes. Their, their, you know, their, their shirts, you know, would have, their robes would have kind of been loose. They, you kind of think about, you know, you know that moment when, when you've had, it's like Christmas, maybe this was you last night. You know, parents, it was, it was, a, it was a long day. You, you stayed up late. You got up early. You finally get the kids in bed. You put on your fat pants. You, 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 put, on, you put on your hoodie, and you just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing anything else. I'm, 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 I'm in my hoodie. No, no one's going to tell me to do anything. I, 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 if I had guests over right now, I'd be appalled, but I'm not doing anything else. Not like that. But rather... As these servants would have been dressed for action, they actually would have been like girding the loins. Their, their, their clothes would have been tied up. They would have been tight. They would have been ready to serve. They're, they were dressed to serve. They were dressed to work. They were dressed for action. It's like they had the right uniform on. It's like you go, you know, you go out to the, to, to play basketball. And when you play basketball, you know, you, you don't want to go out and, and, and play with, 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 you know, Pants that are that are going to be tripping over your feet because you're going to fall down a lot. No, they you know they they wear the right uniform for the right purpose of of athletics. And, and Jesus is calling these these servants here in this this parable to hey you, you need to stay dressed for action. You need to be ready for to serve. You need to be ready to work. And, he, and it indicates this also with with keeping your lamps burning. These servants, again, keep this in mind that the lamps were the source, obviously, of, of, of light at this time. They, they didn't flip a switch and they have electricity. This is what we think of. You know, we, we don't need lamps burning. We just, we flip a switch. The room's illuminated. Praise God for modern technology, but they didn't. They needed lamps in the middle of the night. And so the idea would be that, that when the master would return home, they'd have servants' lamps with, with lamps ready to, to, to lead him to his, his quarters, lead him to his home, lead, or lead, lead him to his room, lead, lead him through the house. The house was prepared for his return. That's the idea. It's not very hard to intellectually understand what is, what is, what is going on here. Darrell Bach, in, in his commentary, he, he notes this. That these combined images of, of these, these servants who were constantly 
dressed for action and constantly had their lamps burning. They were, they were ready. He says this, these combined images point to an attitude of expectant watchfulness. These, these servants were watching for the master to return. They were ready. They, they felt the weight of, what would, of, of seeing their, of their master from a distance as they gazed out the window. They, they, they felt the weight of, of him coming. And, and, and they couldn't in that, in that moment just all of a sudden get ready. They couldn't just all of a sudden clean the house quick and, and start burning, you know, in the middle of the night, ready, get ready, these lamps burning. They couldn't go find their clothes in the dark and all of a sudden just kind of kind of be dressed for action. They felt the weight of it. It's, 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 it's an expectant watchfulness. And I, I believe Jesus here, as he's speaking, as he's speaking to these disciples, he's calling us to be like servants who are waiting for their master to return home. I believe he's, he's, he's pointing to the fact that we should be ready for when Christ returns. You know, you know this, this master who would have left, it says he was returning home from a wedding feast. You know, the interesting thing about a wedding feast is you know, we, we typically have a, a wedding here, and, and weddings here aren't like they were back then. Weddings there would, could have lasted five days. It could have been an all-night affair. Ours, it's like, you know, we've got you know, one meal, we've got the dance, got the party, and we all go home. That's what happens. Not so much then. Not so much in that context. So there was the kind of the idea that, that the master could have gone for the wedding feast. He could, he could be home Monday, Tuesday, we don't know. I don't know when the master should return. But they're waiting for him regardless. But as soon as he comes home and as soon as he as soon as he knocks, the master expects in that moment not to have to knock again. Not a second time or a third time. But as soon as the master comes and knocks, his servants would Open the door. Welcome home. Welcome home. Come in. Lights are ready. There's, we, we've prepared, we've prepared a, a meal for you, for, for your travels. We, we are expecting you. We're excited you're here. We're not scared that you're here because we were ready. It's a joyful moment. And I, want you, I want us to notice that being watchful, in this case, staying dressed for action and keeping lamps burning, it involves action. If we're going to be people who are ready and watchful and expectant for the second coming of Christ, if we are to be found faithful, I want us to see in God's word, it calls us to action. To action. The fact that Christ will return should affect every single moment of every single day. We understand that. A constant state of being ready. There's not clock in and clock out time. Jesus, Jesus wasn't like, you know, with these servants, you know, you might be clocked out, and if you're clocked out, we'll just go ahead and clock back in. 
No, these servants are to be constantly ready and dressed for what? For action. This is a motivating reality. Christ's return is a motivating reality, church. It affects what we do. It affects what we spend our money on. It affects our heart's affections. It affects what we say yes to. It affects what we say no to. Or at least it should. It affects our ambitions. This is so, so important, friends. Hear me, that eschatology matters. It does. I mean, the more and more I study the Word of God, the more and more I read Paul, Almost every single book, he's motivating these churches by pointing them to the fact that Christ will return again. It's such a deep motivation for those who read God's word and understand what Christ is saying. It's not this abstract idea. Christ will actually return. He's coming. And that should motivate us to action. What does action look like? I'll tell you this. Action is not just sitting around and, and, and looking at prophecy charts. Being dressed for action is, is not sitting, sitting around and discussing what may or may not be the mark of the beast. Being dressed for action is not having theor theoretical discussions about who the Antichrist might be. That is not what Christ is calling faithful, ready servants to be. And I'll say it. Amen. Rather, being watchful involves action. Action. So what would, what would being dressed for action, Community Bible Church, what would it look like today? What would it, like, what would it look like for us to, to keep our lamps burning? What, what does being found faithful when the Master returns look like? What does it look like? What does our Master want to find us doing when He returns? Well, I think he kind of gives us that answer in all of chapter 12, and we've been talking about this for the past month or two. As I think we've even uh, gone over these ideas. I think James went over Matt. We just keep going over these ideas, but, but I, I want us to see what Christ is talking about here. Being ready, being watchful, being dressed for action, having your lamps burning. I think it starts like we read in, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that, that we're repenting of and avoiding foolish hypocrisy. We're not walking around and acting like we're something that we're not. But when we're confronted with our sin, we repent. No, no, Christ isn't, isn't calling us to, like, to perfection. We're, we know that in this life we will not be perfect. I said it a few months ago, but the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that a Christian a non-Christian sins and a Christian doesn't, but 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 a Christian repents when he sins and a non-Christian doesn't. It's the difference. We are not hypocritical. We are not content. We're called to not be content with an outward-looking righteousness that pretends to be something that we're not. We're not content with just being conservative and moralistic. Good, good Republican voting, not drinking, not smoking, not watching that TV show type of person, but genuinely, people who desire holiness. That's what Christ is calling us to. That is what faithfulness really actually does look like. 
Faithfulness also looks like, as we saw in chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, as Matt preached a few, month, a few weeks ago, living with fear and reverence for God. They were living with fear and reverence for God. Rather, rather than, than, than succumbing to hypocrisy and ongoing sin and unrepentant sin, we, we fear the Lord. We live in fear and, and reverence of God, and we actually pursue holiness. We don't just come and, and, and sing, Holy, 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 Lord, God Almighty, and, and, and we, it's a familiar tune, and we like it, and, and, and we know the words, and it makes us feel comfortable. No, we, we actually sing these words, and they pierce our heart. We're like, He really is holy, holy, holy. Only thou art holy. Only Him. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing God of this world. And that is a terrifying reality because we are not holy. We are sinful. And we are frail. And we are broken. We are rebellious. The most terrifying news in the entire world, as it has been said, is this, that God is holy. Oh, but as we've discussed over these past few weeks, He is so merciful. In spite of His terrifying holiness, He is a merciful God who delights to give his children, the kingdom. It's beautiful. But we should still live with a healthy fear of God, a reverence for God. Be being faithful also in verses 12, in chapter 12, 8 through 12, would look like this, acknowledging Christ before men. Acknowledging Christ before men. We actually talk about Jesus. We, I mean, it's simple, right? We talk about Jesus. Isn't it amazing how uncomfortable at times we can be to simply talk about Jesus? I, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about straight up sharing the gospel. Like full like, hey, hairdresser, I just want you to know um, that unless you repent of your sins and, and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will go to hell for all of eternity as you're sitting there cutting my hair. I'm, not, I'm like, okay, I, I get the angst of, 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 of the weight of such a conversation of saying, you're in danger of going to hell. I, I, I'm simply talking about what Christ has done in your life, the grace that he's given you, how good he is. How We don't want to sound like just these weirdos. I'm talking about simply acknowledging Christ, like the one who bore our sin, who's changed our lives, who's changed our eternal destination from hell to eternity with him. Like, holy smokes, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. I want to talk about it. We're content with acknowledging the braves what we got for Christmas, what our vacation plans are, what we cooked, what blah, 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 blah. Unimportant! Christ has saved us, church. Christ has saved us. May our conversations indicate that. Simple. May we acknowledge Christ. Saying, being found faithful at Christ's return would, would, would look like, as James preached a few weeks ago in, in, in 12, 13 through 21, that we would avoid covetousness. We would avoid covetousness. Yes, we are to actively, actively avoid covetousness. We're to actively avoid it. We are to actively avoid greed. 
We are actively looking for ways to be generous because Christ has been so generous to us. And so Doug comes up here. Thank you for doing that this morning. And he says there's a need in Liberia. There's a need. I know there's a lot of us who've spent a lot of money for Christmas. I know there's a lot of us who received a lot of money for Christmas. And you received an envelope of a check or cash or something. And the Lord here has, has, has put before us a need in Liberia of people who cannot eat. And we're thinking about the AirPods that we can buy or the tickets or, or XYZ, 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 all these things. Maybe this morning, maybe, maybe we don't just match what's already been given from the church. Maybe we double it or maybe we triple it because there is a church that we're partnering with in a region of the world where they can't eat. And I am not sorry at all if I'm stepping on toes. Because the word of God tells us this, that, that, that followers of Christ Jesus who get it, who understand the radical generosity that Christ has shown us, who, who our Lord and Savior who's calling us to avoid covetousness and, and greed, he says the re, that those who get that, they're generous. They're generous. Even just James pointed out a few weeks ago, it, it's, it's the, the Macedonian church, they just, they just gave. They didn't even have the money, they just gave it. Church, can we load that box up? Not out of guilt, but out of like, generosity and joy. Maybe we we be found joyful to give. May we, really. If the Lord would lay that on your heart this morning, do it. It's back there, right under that picture. May we be avoiding covetousness. And and, And finally, as we've talked about last week, that we would be people that pursue the kingdom of God. That's what we're found pursuing. We're not, found, we're not pursuing the riches of this world. We're not pursuing self-glorification. But we're pursuing the kingdom of God, as, as we talked about last week, that we would seek first the kingdom of God. What does that look like? A few questions. Are our lives giving honor to the king of the kingdom? Are they? Are our lives seeking to honor the king above all else? Oh Lord, just extend your rule in my heart. Convict me of sin so that I may honor you and bring you joy and bring you pleasure and bring you glory. I want to honor you, King. Are are, are we seeking to bring others into this kingdom with a kingdom mindset? We're we're saying, oh, what joy it is to have the, the, the keys to Zion City where beside the King I walk. Amazing friend, best friend in the entire world. I want to bring you with me. I want Zion City filled, filled with my friends and my neighbors, all bringing glory to Christ Jesus. Seeking first the kingdom looks like this, that that we would be people that desire to make disciples. Simple. So I know it's not mind shattering here. But how much of our time is, is dedicated to our kingdom and how much time is dedicated to Christ's kingdom? I think being dedicated to Christ's kingdom looks like this, that, that, that we are actively inviting others to be a part of 
Christ's kingdom. We're dedicating our lives to, to, to teaching people the word of God so that they would see Christ as Savior, they would repent of their sins, they would experience the grace that we have received. Talking about evangelism here. Talking about discipleship here. I'm not just talking about the preacher. I'm not talking about the elders. I'm not just talking about, you know, what I'm talking about you. You as a servant. Finding the joy of kingdom living. And finally, are we obedient to the rules of the kingdom? Are we walking in righteousness? Are we loving Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself? Seeking the kingdom. We should desire, we should desire as Christians to be found faithful at Christ's second coming. I think this gives us a picture of that. Second, disciples of Jesus should remember that great blessings come to faithful servants. Great blessings come to faithful servants. We see this in Verses 37 through 40, it starts off in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. This, this word for bless is, is the Greek word makarios. And, and if you remember, um, it's, I know it's been a while, but when I preached through the, um, through the Sermon on the Mount, we, we specifically honed in on this word makarios. And this, this Greek word makarios, it's translated blessed here, but the full weight of it is actually this. It's actually happy and fulfilled. Blessed is a, is a good word. It's a fine word. But, but when you look at, when you really dig into it, it, it really actually is happy. And it really actually is fulfilled. So happy, fulfilled, ultimate fulfillment are for those servants who are awake when Christ Jesus comes. Now, awake, again, it means this. Awake implies dressed for action with lamps burning. It's not that like they're wake up when they hear the master knocking. It's not that they were willing to get out of bed when they heard the knocking. The awake means that they were awake the whole time the master was gone and they were ready. They were dressed for action. Their lamps were burning. And they are happy. They are blessed. As, as Christians, we need to understand this, that the second coming of Christ, for those who are in Christ, will be an absolutely joyful moment for us. It will. For those who are in Christ, it will be a joyful moment. You're thinking, well, I don't know, man, because I, I sin a lot. I mean, surely, surely it's not going to be as happy as, as you say it is. I think of it probably more like, you know, when I was a kid. And, and, and as a kid, you know, maybe mom would say, yeah, maybe I was, I was bad for my mom and I was, do, I was being terrible that day and I was doing all the bad stuff. And then, you know, my mom would say, wait till your dad comes home. Now, in, in, in waiting for my dad to come home, I was never scared that dad would throw me to the street, that he would disown me, that he would kill me. But I knew when dad got home, like I was, uh, there's going to be a point where it, you know, it wasn't going to be good. He was, he was going to bring the rod real quick to me, but followed by love. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you're thinking about. Maybe that's how you think it's going to be when, when Christ returns. 
for you, Christian. And the reality is that could not be further from the truth for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, happy, fulfilled, blessed are those servants whom the master finds dressed for action and lamps burning when he comes. Because here's what will happen. When the master returns, for those who are in Christ, he's actually not coming demanding to be served. Do you see that? He's not coming with a rod for us. He's not coming to do this for me, cook me a meal, lead me to my bed, leave me alone. He's not a grumpy master who just had a hard trip and he's coming in and he doesn't want to speak to anybody. He just wants to go to his room and be left alone. It's not what he's doing. Do you see what he's doing when the master returns? He says, truly, I say, and when he says truly, Jesus is always like, I want you to hear this. Understand this, church. He says, truly, I say to you, the master will dress himself for service and recline and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Do you get this? That in Christ, he's like, be ready for action. Have your lamps burning, stay dressed for action, because when I get back, there's a party. When I come back, I'm going to serve you. We're going to recline at table together. And this this idea of reclining at table, this, this is a posture of fellowship. It's a posture of friendship. It's, it's a posture of, of intimacy. How amazing is this? Because you're thinking like, man, this, this master, he's, he's a bad master, and he's just going to tear me up if I'm not ready. And there's a sense in which we're going to talk about that, and it's true. But for those who are ready, those who are in Christ Jesus, he's coming back, and he's going to serve us. Our Savior King will serve his bride. We talked about this, this wedding feast last week, and I, and, 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 and I won't rehash it again. But there would be a, this beautiful moment of, of intimacy with Christ, where Christ is ours forevermore. Forevermore. We, 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 if, you've got, if you've got your Bibles, turn, turn to Revelation 21. We talked about Revelation 19 last week. we got time to glory in this this morning. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, we, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Look at what he will do. He 
will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, he said this, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Did you see what Christ is doing here? What Christ is doing, wiping away tears, making, making all things new. Then, then go to 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. It's amazing. I mean, it is amazing what is in store for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely amazing. This motivating fact should motivate us to radical action, radical lamp burning every moment of every day of our lives. And Jesus, he says, get ready for this. You got to be constantly ready. Constantly ready. He could come in the second watch or he could come in the third watch. This, this, this time would have been between 9, 9 p.m. And, and 3 a.m. Again, remember, there wasn't electricity lying in the streets. There wasn't electricity in the homes. And this time, people got up when the sun rose and they went to bed when the sun set. That's, that's how life worked. We might stay up till midnight. They didn't. That wasn't normal for them. That's when they slept. I want you to be ready then. And he says, listen, those, if he comes in the second watch or the third watch and he finds them awake, that is dressed for action and lamps burning, blessed are those servants. Blessed are those servants. Those servants are the blessed ones. Those who are dressed for action and those whose lamps are burning. This isn't a call. Listen, listen, church. This is not a call to general faithfulness. Just general. 
This is a call to constant faithfulness. Constant. There is no clocking in and clocking out of the Christian life. There is not. There is not my time and God's time. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been radically saved by his grace. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Again, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means we are striving for holiness by the power of the Spirit. That when we sin, we can confess our sins to a God we know has forgiven us. And that motivates us to righteousness and holy living. That our, that our desire, even though we will not see perfect faithfulness and perfect holiness in this life, there's only been one who's ever been perfectly faithful, and that is Christ Jesus, period. And the fact that we will be with him for all eternity is, is not based on our faithfulness. It's not based on our works. It's not based on any of that. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved by the work of Christ alone. We are saved by his propitiation, his propitiation. His satisfying work on our behalf on the cross. That is how we are saved. Alone. We can't do enough works to be saved. But those who have been saved, who have experienced the saving grace of Christ, desire to be found faithful. Constantly. Constantly. Jesus then gives the same call to readiness from a more negative example. He, he talks about a thief that, that breaks into a house. And, and he says, hey, if you were in charge of this house and you knew that a thief was coming, you'd be ready. You wouldn't leave the house. You'd be like, I, I, I'm staying here. I, we're ready. We're ready. We're really, really, really ready. Everybody on guard. It's kind of like, you know, when you're in the restaurant industry, you kind of know around the time of the year when the, when the health inspector is going to come. You know, you're like, health inspector is a big deal. If you've never been in the restaurant industry, the health inspector, you, you, you got to ace that. A, for public perception. B, they can shut you down. So you don't want anything going wrong that day. But you know around the time, if you've been doing it long enough, the health inspector is going to come. And so there comes a point in time of year where you start really kind of honing in on some of the health inspection stuff. We better be ready because we know probably sometime this month the health inspector is coming. You think about it. You know, you're making sure everything's perfect, everything's right. So when that health inspector comes, boom, got an A again, nailed it, killed it, yes, because we knew they were coming. Same thing. Dude was in charge of the house. He knew someone was going to break in. He didn't go to sleep. And Christ is like, I'm calling you to that same type of preparedness, same type of faithfulness, because I am coming at an hour where you do not expect, but know this, I am coming. You can bet your bottom dollar, I'm coming. And I'm telling you this right now, I'm coming when you least expect it. Be ready. Be faithful. Be faithful. We need not... Be scared, though, as I said, because great blessings come to those who are in Jesus Christ at his second coming. Finally, we should all understand the warning that comes to those who are not faithful. Point three, we should all understand the warning that comes to those who are not faithful as we finish in verses 41 through 48. As we, as we gaze at verse 41, we see that Peter has some confusion about what this parable is about. 
Peter's like, are, are, are you saying this for us or, or is it for all of us? There's some debate over what Peter means here. You know, again, as we go back to this, we're, we, we saw that there were crowds. We saw that there were disciples. And so we can imagine among the, among the crowds, there were those who were disciples and those who were not disciples. But also, even with, uh, among the disciples, there were the apostles and then there were, there were also just disciples in general. And so, who's, who's Peter talking about here? Really doesn't matter. Because Jesus is like setting apart two different types of people here. And John, John MacArthur, um, he really helped me understand this right here. John, he, he points out, there's two groups. There's two groups of people here. There's the faithful and there's the unfaithful. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Now, he's going to give us different degrees of unfaithfulness. But there are two groups of people here. There's the faithful and there's the unfaithful. There are those that are faithful, those that are in Christ. What does this look like? What does it look, what does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be in Christ? It, was, it is these people who, who will receive the kingdom of God. It says they will receive their portion of food at the proper time. That's, that's their reward, their, their portion of food. There, there seems to be a, a, a proportion of faithfulness to reward. Again, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have been saved by his grace alone through faith alone and, and Christ alone through no effort or work of our own, we all receive salvation. Amen. There's also a degree of faithfulness that we will receive rewards. I don't, there, there's not like a, you know, there, there, there's not like a compensation package here that I know what all this looks like, but I do know this, that God's word talks about, uh, of rewards for faithfulness. But I also know this, that we, you know, we will take these rewards, these crowns that Christ gives us, and we will cast them back at his feet, Christians, no matter how many crowns we have, because he's the one who's worthy. We actually sang about that several times this morning, whether you know it or not. Casting down their golden crowns. Amen. His rewards. They will receive their portion of food at the proper time. They're blessed because the master will find them obedient. And they will be set over all the possessions of the master. To sum it up, I believe he's saying here that they're going to receive the kingdom. And receive the reward of those who are faithful. I've talked enough about those who are faithful this morning. Let's move to the unfaithful. It's those who are unregenerate. Those who are unregenerate. They will all receive judgment. They will all receive judgment. In verse 45, he starts with this servant that says to himself, My master is delayed at coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. This, this, this type of individual, they're not looking for the coming of the king. They don't care. In, in fact, they're, 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 they're saying he's delayed in coming. I've got time. I've got time. I mean, I, I know good and well what the master said. I know the instructions. I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I get it, I get it, but surely he's delayed in coming because he hasn't come yet. I get it. 
And so because he hasn't come yet, because I don't feel like, you know, I'm on life support or I'm I'm an IC or anything, I'm just going to continue to live the way that I desire to live. And it's not a life of righteousness. It's a life of unrighteousness. It's a life of unrepentant sin. It's a life of violence, sin, gluttony, drunkenness, and the things of this world. It's not faithfulness. They really don't care. They don't take their master seriously because they do not fear him. They do not fear the return of the master because they don't fear the master. They don't care. No reverence for the master. Therefore, no motivation to action. It really doesn't matter if they give him the lip service of saying, my master is delayed. You can call him master. You can say, Lord, Lord, but in the end, these are the ones that Christ Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Never. These individuals will be be cut into pieces and marked as unfaithful. They will be marked as unfaithful. Then there are those that knew the master's will but weren't ready. They weren't ready. They weren't faithful. They knew it. They knew it. They're not described as violent. They're not described as gluttons, yet they were still disobedient. They didn't act according to the will of the master. Understand this, church, that neutrality, if there is such a thing, and there isn't such a thing, in our minds we've created this middle ground of of the disobedience and, and, and obedience, but somehow I can be neutral and still be right with God. The middle road, it's wrong, it's sinful, but neutrality and sitting on your hands with a moralistic lifestyle isn't what faithfulness looks like. It's not. It's not. These individuals will receive a beating. James says it this way, friends. In James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? And the answer is no. It can't. Someone who says they have faith in Christ but they don't actually live like it. it. It makes no difference in their heart. That's actually not a Christian. That's not saving faith. That's intellectual assent. That is not salvific. And if that is you, you are this person. You will receive judgment. And then there were those who had not heard what the master desired. They didn't know. They didn't hear about it. But they still acted foolishly. And they still received a beating. They never heard. They were sinful. Romans 1, 18 through 19 says, says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. You weren't a part of a church. You weren't discipled. You were never taught this book. Dear friends, you are still without excuse. All of those who do not turn to Christ Jesus will receive the wrath of God for all of eternity. Cut, period. Cut and dry. So there seems here to be a correlation, if you see, 
There seems to be a correlation between judgment and how much revelation that God has given you if you should choose to disobey Him. Seems to be a correlation here. That's why Jesus comes down so hard on the Pharisees. I mean, these guys had God's word. And he is so harsh with them. So harsh with him. But he, but he is so gentle with even the most vile of sinners. He's so gentle. But the severity, the, the more you understand, the more you're, the, the, the more you're guilty of. The more you're guilty of. He says, everyone to whom much is given, much is required. We just think like, well, if God's given you a lot of money, you got to do a lot with it. And that is true. But like the more revelation God's given you, that's what he's saying here, the more is required of you. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You think this is just for believers and unbelievers, but, but, but let, let me show you something this morning. It seems like the, the more the Lord gives responsibility, position, whatever, in, in, in the church, the more is required of you. Elders, listen. Hebrews 13, 17, it says this. It's a, it's a call to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, who will have to give an account. If you're an elder, if you desire to be an elder, listen, you will give an account. You will give an account for the way that you shepherd this church, that you oversee this church, that you watch over the souls here. It's a fearful thing. Isn't it, Doug? Dave, Pat. And to all those who would be an elder in the future, but understand this, in 1 Peter 5, 1-4, it also says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He's not motivating elders to faithful living primarily with just a rod of accountability, but an unfading crown of glory for faithfulness. Not just elders, but what about teachers? They're judged strictly. James 3.1, it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a fearful thing. And I, I know there's, there's this idea that just stepping in the pulpit, like, you know, it's like glorious and everybody gets to listen to you talk, so you must love it. I don't know, man. A whole bunch of more strictness that come up here. It's, there's a whole bunch of strictness that happens when a, 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 whole, a great deal more of judgment, a stricter judgment when you're teaching Sunday school to children. When you're teaching your children at home. When you're leading a small group on Wednesday nights, greater strictness, greater strictness. But but listen, there's also reward. In in First Timothy five seventeen, it, it says that, that those who teach are, are worthy of double honor. Those who labor in preaching and teaching, 
In 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, Paul tells Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of my witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's teaching others to teach, to teach. Share in suffering, which is teaching, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Again, with a greater reward. Potential. I'm not talking some prosperity gospel here. I'm not talking about the more you teach, the better you are, the more money you make. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about heavenly investments, heavenly rewards, eternal rewards. Not now. As Paul died for his faith, Timothy died for his faith, Peter died for his faith. We're not talking about earthly gain here. Earthly respect. If you're looking for earthly respect by teaching or being an elder, you're not going to get it. You're going to be disliked. Probably. What about the rest of us? You're like, I'm not an elder. I'm not a teacher. Well, the rest of us, we can turn to Romans 14, 12, and we can, we can see this, that each of us are going to give an account of ourselves before God. Each of us. Yes, you. If you are a Christian, you will give an account for your life. I don't know what that account's going to look like. Don't. But I know his, his, his word says we're going to give an account to whether we were faithful or not. All of us. All of us will. That should scare us, but we can also turn to Revelation 3, 7 through 13. As, G, as, as we read this, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, the words of the only of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is about to shut. I know you have but little power, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have little influence, tiny influence. You're persecuted. You're not well thought of among the society. You have little power, but you have this. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep from you the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from the, uh, my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you see who gets the crown? The faithful ones. Faithful. The faithful ones. Yes, we can fear the account, perhaps, and that can be our motivator. But Jesus gives us a far greater motivation. It is this heavenly reward that he offers. It's glorious. So what do we do with this? Really, what do we do with it, church? 
We're called to expectantly wait for the Lord to return. That's what he calls us to. We're called to be found faithful at his return. Dressed for action. Lamps burning. We also see that where much is given, much is required. And I want us, as Community Bible Church here this morning, I, I, I want us to consider just how much God's given us. Because I think we forget that. I want us to consider that, that we live in America. We live in America. The richest, freest country in the entire world. Do you know what that means? That you can share the gospel and not go to jail. There's nothing stopping us from being people who are sold out for the gospel in this society. We will not die for our faith. We will not be jailed for our faith. We're starting to see some of that perhaps in Canada. Could be here before we know it. But as of right now, in most of our lives, if you're an adult, we will give an account that of, for, for this freedom that God has given us. We're, like, we of all people to steward this freedom, to take the gospel to the world, to take the gospel to our neighbors, to take the gospel to our workplace, to take the gospel to our schools, to our universities, to the parks, to the mall. We of all people should, should recognize that God has given us this. We should use it. Consider the fact that, that we are a part of a church that takes the Bible seriously. We desire to, to explain the true meaning of the text. We, we desire to preach verse by verse so that we understand the word of God. It's, a, it's an incredible blessing. It's an incredible blessing to understand the implications and the exhortations. An incredible blessing, but where much is given, much is required. May we not just be a people who understand the text, but a people who, 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 who understand the implications of the text. It motivates us to go out and share the gospel and to live for Christ. To share this truth that we are taught in this pulpit and in, and in the fellowship hall and in our homes and all these. Maybe we'd be faithful. God's given us a church that does this. We are, we are a church. I know some of you feel like this isn't a blessing, but we are a church that has a building. It's a building that has been paid for. And a piece of property in a high traffic area. This is something God has given us a steward, like it or not. This, this baptismal pool, it's something that God has given us a steward. Many of us grew up in Christian families. Much has been given where we have a father and a mother who love each other and who love the Lord and who teach us the Bible. Children, listen. Teenagers, listen. God has given that to you for your Benefit. Much has been given to you. You will give an account for that. You will. Whether you're home educated, your private Christian school, you're in classical conversations or, or whatever, like your, your, your education growing up, I'm just talking about the primary focus of that education was to make known the glories of Christ, and you've been given that, 
Much has been given of you. Much has been given to you. Much is required. We could go on and on, church. We are a blessed group of people where much has been given. I mean, so much has been given to us that we will give an account for. We can't go back and change the past. We don't need to live in condemnation if we've been unfaithful. Unfaithful parents, unfaithful students, unfaithful whatever. We can see this. We can look at these incredible eternal rewards that Christ is offering to those who are faithful. We, 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 that, that can be our motivation. And it should be our motivation. But may we be found faithful. May we be found faithful, church. May Community Bible Church, maybe every student, may every teenager, may every child, may every adult, may every elder, man, woman, couple in this church, may we strive to be found faithful when Christ comes. May we be ready. And those that are, it will be amazing. Be glorious. We will be filled with awe. We will be filled with joy and fulfillment and happiness when he comes. Those who are not, it will be the most terrifying existence for all of eternity future for you. If that is you this morning, I do pray that you would gaze upon Christ you would see the grace that he offers. You would look at his life and, and you would see his sinless life that he was put on the cross to bury your sin. He was put to death. He was put in the grave. And on the third day, he rose again. And he defeated death once and for all. And he offers salvation to all those who would trust in him. I pray if that's you this morning, that you would trust in him today. Because as this text warns us, Christ could return at any single moment. He could come today. And dear friends, if you have not trusted Christ, you will go to hell. But Christ offers salvation to all who would believe. Trust him today. Trust him, friends. For those of us who are in Christ, may we live faithfully as we wait for our returning king. Amen.